0: Net Zero, A Digital Journey, a podcast series produced by Content with Purpose in partnership with BCS, the Chartered Institute for IT.
1: Hello and welcome to this episode of Net Zero, A Digital Journey, a podcast series made by BCS, the Chartered Institute for IT, and Content with Purpose. And the series is all about exploring the essential role that the IT professions have in addressing the climate crisis and achieving net zero targets. I'm Helen Chersky, your host for the series. One of the lessons of watching the natural world, something that lots of us did more of during the pandemic, is that nature recycles endlessly. Manure, fertilises agriculture and that feeds us and round and round it all goes. And for most of human history, resources were scarce and valuable. So there's no question of throwing the valuable stuff away. So we did what nature did. It just went round and round. And yet we've just gone through a few decades where we have completely lost those habits and we're having to relearn them. Uh, in quite a painful way sometimes. So this episode is all about what we could and should be doing to reuse, repurpose and recycle our IT hardware, um, moving our one-way consumption system to a more sustainable circular economy. And what are the behaviour changes and attitudes that stand in the way of change? We're going to be looking into all that as always, we've got two guests to help us dig into this topic. So let me introduce you to the first one, and that is James Derrick, who is the Risk and Compliance Manager at Blackmore UK. Um, James, just to get started, tell us a little bit about Blackmore UK and your role there.
2: Yeah, sure. So um, Blackmore um, have been sort of in the thick of it um, with the uh, e-waste uh, reuse and circular economy for just over 25 years now. Um, I've been part of the gang for just over a decade um uh, i've worn many hats along the way Um, but basically what blackmore do they're a secure itad uh, which is an it asset disposal or i like to think of a a it asset disposition company Um, and so what we do is we take um, redundant it assets primarily from businesses but we also work with um, consumer goods too uh, and we um, Make sure that they're repurposed wherever possible. Um, so we refurbish uh, and return to service this equipment rather than it going down the recycling road. Um, so within the waste hierarchy, we should always consider, you know, recycling. Uh, I think as a bit of a worst case scenario. I mean, that's it, it's it's still an awful lot better than wasting it without recycling it. But um, you know, if we can reuse, and of course, you know, reduce. Uh, then, then that's better. And that's what Blackmore sort of aims to do. Um, and the fact that we do it securely, so we manage the uh, the data um, that are on these assets as they're brought out to service, um, gives companies the reassurance that, that their obligations in that area are being covered too.
1: And what do you see as the, the biggest current issues? I mean, what are the big obstacles that you see when it comes to the repurposing of e-waste?
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, there's lots of different aspects. Uh, there's some of them are just sort of trends over time, I guess. Um, so we're seeing increasing miniaturization uh, of the hardware. Um, everything's being condensed down into single boards, into small ICs that, that aren't uh, readily changed. Um, uh, you know, it's not that many years ago, you'd, you'd get a, a television that needs repair, for example, and it would have a, a whole bunch of boards in the back and you'd Figure out which ones, uh, playing up, and uh, either replace replace components on the board or replace one of the boards. Whereas now everything seems to be sort of packing down into single boards of extremely tightly packed components that you know you need robots to work on essentially. Um, and so repair is becoming more challenging. Um, now, along with that, um, there are also some some uh, pressures being applied essentially by manufacturers where they're. Um, Uh, making it very difficult to get spare parts. Um, Some of them actually restricted altogether to their own repair houses and don't allow third-party repair of their equipment. Um, And, uh, you know, I think as well, there's a certain amount of planned obsolescence. Um, uh, It doesn't really suit the manufacturer's business model to encourage reuse, um, where they might instead get a new sale out of the equation. Um, And that... That needs to change. Uh, I mean, I can't imagine that that's going to change purely at the kindness of of the manufacturer's hearts. But, um, you know, if we can have some sort of consumer pressure that drives that agenda, then that that would be a positive thing, I think. Um, I mean, beyond the repairability itself, um, you've got the um, the increasing data density within these devices. I mean, my focus area, I I suppose, is, is IT. Uh, that's that's our um, primary focus when it comes to electronics but it's uh, you know the internet of things and smart tvs and things that that data is getting into pretty much all of it uh, now it's not just the case that you know a hard drive and a laptop is your only concern data wise now there's data and everything data is a key commodity um, and uh, being able to securely sanitize that's really important um, otherwise, people tend to kind of lean towards the physical destruction and the um, uh, the more sort of uh, well, the more destructive uh, e- exit routes, really, rather than considering reuse for that hardware. Um, and I guess finally, the probably the biggest one is just perception, uh, attitudes towards um, second user equipment. Uh, you know, marketing and, and peer pressure that, that everybody's under. To have the sort of shiniest, newest gadgets um, means that they, you know, a perfectly serviceable item that they were using up to a few moments before it gets shelved um, when they might have otherwise hung on to it um, or sought an exit route that would securely get it in the hands of a new user. Um, uh, and and you know, conversely, people need to. Need to want these things. Um, you know they need to realise that there's there's all these benefits in terms of taking second user equipment um, rather than having to get new all the time. Net zero, a digital journey.
0: This episode is sponsored by Restore Technology. Restore Technology provides secure, sustainable, and cost-effective IT lifecycle services, from IT deployment through to secure IT disposal. You can learn more about their work. On our digital series website, netzerodigital.bcs.org forward slash UK. Net Zero, a digital journey.
1: Let's meet our second guest today, uh, and that is um, Margaret Bates, who is a visiting professor at the University of Northampton and also managing director of OnPack Recycling Label. Now, Margaret, you said before uh, we started recording that Nobody had heard of OnPack Recycling label, but everyone would know what it was. So just explain what it is.
3: Yeah, so um, OPRL, just to be quicker, is the label that goes on packaging that says recycle or do not recycle. So you see it in pretty much all the packaging you buy from the high street, a lot of the stuff you'll get through your front door as well. So we're the company that people join and we determine what label they get on their packaging and then give them that label.
1: Take me through the timeline of this a little bit, because I mean, I remember those things have been around for years and even before people were particularly interested in recycling. And now suddenly people are asking a lot more questions. Is that changing those labels? What's the kind of timeline through this?
3: Well, OPRL has been around for about 14 years. I've been there for uh, three nearly um, and it, and it really has increased. The rate of pace of change is dramatic. We've got um, between 750 and 800 members. And interesting and relevant to this call, they used to be mainly grocery. And they still are mainly grocery, but they're now increasing as well. So we've got electrical and electronic companies joining to label their packaging effectively as well. And there's big changes happening around packaging regulations. In fact, there's a whole raft of packaging reforms that are currently going through the UK government.
1: And what do you see when it comes to the current sort of behaviours? James was talking about, you know, attitudes towards waste. What do you see when it comes to the behaviours that need to change and, and attitudes to all of this? When it comes to making a difference to, to e-waste,
3: well, I, I think there's a number of behaviours that need to change, and I I totally agree with everything James said. Really, I think um, one of the things we need to do is we need to have manufacturers making it easy to upgrade. So currently, if we want to upgrade, we basically buy new technology and I I've just recently bought a Fairphone and the Fairphone arrives. You can opt whether you have a charger with it or not, which makes a nice change. Because it's a USB-C, so I've already got lots of those. And then it basically comes phone and a little screwdriver. Because it's designed for you to be able to repair and upgrade it as required by yourself. And that's quite nice for me. I'm a bit embarrassed by how long I've known they existed for compared to when I actually... Bought one, but that kind of behaviour, and I agree with James, we need to make it more fashionable. In clothes, vintage is a thing, TV you turn on, and there's at least two adverts that I see regularly for buying second hand clothes. There's a very popular programme that's just made a thing about all its stuff being second hand and showing that you can buy stuff that you couldn't afford brand new. We need to get some of that messaging across in electronics as well. And one of the big um, home appliances companies, I was at a meeting and they were challenged and someone said, oh, well, you don't want refurbishment and reuse, do you? You want to sell everything new. And they said, we have the confidence in our brand that if people who maybe can't afford our stuff brand new, use it second hand when they can afford it brand new, they'll be brand loyal to us and they'll buy
1: it. That brings up an interesting point, I think, which is that this comparison between clothes and electronics, because, you know, since the 1970s, the shape of the human body generally has not changed very much, right? We still have two arms and two legs. We're about the same size. And if a jumper has lasted, we can still wear it. But with technology, you know, we've seen this rapid increase and perhaps it's slowed down a bit in recent years in devices that can do new things that others couldn't. And so I can see... People saying, well, it's all very well to say I would love a vintage, you know, little flip phone from the early 2000s or whatever. But I need it to do things that that technology didn't do. So, James, perhaps this is one for you first and then we'll come back to Margaret. How like how valid is that concern?
2: Yeah, very. I I think, um, you know, it's, it's right Uh, as a concern but also the the initial point was correct Uh, you know we are seeing the difference between generations of equipment narrowing Um, you know the extensive changes from from one model of I mean just pick mobile phones as a as a a kind of easy example everybody knows Uh, but you know the difference between some of the early um, iPhones for example uh, against the differences you might see now moving from uh, I don't know a, a twelve to a thirteen or something. Either um, the, the difference is, well, I, in my opinion, borderline negligible. Um, uh, and yet um, there is this this as uh, I sort of say peer pressure or just you know the marketing is such that that people feel the need to to get a new one um, when when it doesn't realistically do a great deal more than the previous i mean there are cases where you need to be on like the bleeding edge of technology um but i don't think that applies to everyone and i don't think it applies to every situation and and oftentimes perfectly serviceable kit is is being you know thrown to the wayside because it's not brand spanking new
3: don't you think as well james that some of that's reflected in the way using mobile phones as a specific example um that some of the providers the networks have changed their marketing so that it's instead of here's your new phone they say well actually when you've reached the end of your contract you can choose to keep that phone and we'll give you a discount on your line rental or whatever the technical term is for that so there's even some acknowledge in that that we need to think of better business models that don't just involve such a linear solution of you buy it and then you can't upgrade it so your only way of getting it better is to throw it away and your only way of having a phone at the end of your contract is to buy a new one that you there's if there's nothing wrong with your existing one let's keep it
2: yeah and i mean that might in part be a reaction to the to the change in consumer attitudes that are already you know starting at uh, sim only deals um did they come about as a as a mechanism to um, you know keep loyal customers and reward them for hanging on to their equipment, or was it a way of rewarding loyalty to um, you know for customers that weren't upgrading because they didn't see the advantage of of upgrading? Um, uh, you know, I, I often look at things a little cynically. I guess that comes from being a risk and compliance officer, but um, it, yeah, I kind of tend to think that that's probably the market following the consumer rather than the other way around.
1: But the business model thing is interesting, isn't it? Because I think with the one thing we're seeing in business models more broadly is this shift to um, a rental arrangement so in you know you you basically rent your thing for a year so you know there's a company proposing that we rent car tires um, and then they get a payment every year so they have an ongoing business but then it's in their interest to buy and design and create tires that last much longer and it's their responsibility to maintain them so so you shift your incentives around so that actually um, the incentive is for the for the thing to last as long as possible, and then it, it, there's pressure for it to be repairable. How is anyone looking at that in in the world of electronics and IT? Is anyone looking really looking at those business models where you are renting equipment, and when you you don't need it, it goes back and it goes out to someone who does need that thing? Or is that still too far ahead?
2: In the um in, in the world of leasing, I think that that sort of um, picking up steam a little bit, um, but. Um, it, it often sort of centers around software uh, in the technology market and that subscription modeling is, is working well for, um, for that, of but it also kind of has the opposite impact. I mean, sometimes perfectly serviceable uh, networking hardware, for example, that's on a licensed subscription model, um, they cease to produce security updates for a device because it's X numbers a year old. Um, and then you have to get the next model up, even though it does the same thing. Um, and they manage that with the licenses. You know, once the license is expired, you can't even sell it on to anyone else because the device is defunct without that license. Um, so I think it's a the subscription model could be made to work, but at the moment, it's only really working for the manufacturers.
1: Margaret, does that come into the um, the definition of what makes something recyclable for e waste? Because that's a quite critical thing, isn't it? There's a difference, as James is saying, between something being physically recyclable. Uh, and and it actually or reusable perhaps when the new labeling needed for things that can be reused and things that can actually be you know there's there's a there's a hardware problem can you deal with a physical object but there's also all these licensing and software and all these other types of debate does that is that holding this back i i think that there's
3: a lot of issues holding it back i mean it used to be when When I was a student, we rented all the electricals that came in our house because it saved arguments and it was actually cheaper. And then it became cheaper to buy, lower quality admittedly, but cheaper to buy than rent. And that's going to be one of the issues that we need to get over with that. And I think with energy prices, one of the things that would be really interesting was if we start to understand what the real cost of buying our technology and our electricals and electronics are so there's been a lot of work done around this in packaging labeling about water use biodiversity impact, energy but if we start thinking so if i buy x brand versus y brand um what what was its initial footprint but how much does it cost me to run it I I have a fundamental lack of understanding that I keep meaning to address about what an eco-setting on, a, on an, an appliance means. Because for me, it seems to mean that it takes forever. And so I'd love to know what the balance is between the water use and the electrical use for it running for so much longer and what impact that has on my household finances. So all of these things it becomes so much more complicated let alone what happens at the end of life and the end of life for electricals and electronics is very different if people think it's got data on it people have a fundamental misunderstanding of how much their stuff has their data on it but also the size of it will it fit in a bin or do i need to pay someone to take it away
1: well, let's deal with the first one of those, which is the data issue. And James, you mentioned this because this is the thing that everybody you know, is taught. Like, you know, the, the, the problem with all of these things almost is that um, there's a campaign for a good reason that says one thing and there's one message that goes out and everyone goes, oh, okay, I'll do that. And then a different campaign from a different perspective comes along. And, and then, and I think that's where the security came from, right? There was a lot of concern about hacking and, you know, ident- you know people's, people's identities being stolen and all that kind of thing. So there was a good reason why people were told to be very careful with their data and now there's this different perspective so how what's the actual situation with this
2: yeah sure well i mean the, the data protection um question when it comes to uh, end of life electronics or people call it end of life but we, we beg to differ um it's a difficult one to cover because it, it can almost come across as discouraging reuse um but i think the reality is that people just need to approach it the right way um uh, essentially There are in very many devices, particularly enterprise equipment, you know, office PCs, laptops, etc. But increasingly, as I mentioned in Internet of Things, you know, it's it's really getting into everything now. Your uh, Alexa device may have an account attributed to it that needs to be removed before somebody else might use it, for example. Um, but uh, yeah, all this information uh, and especially you know, personally uh, identifiable information needs to be protected, um, but there are technologies that assist us with that and ensure that we can still uh, reuse equipment. Uh, I mean, there's this constant sort of cat and mouse game um, going on where organizations that specialize in data sanitization are trying to keep up with the trends in technology, both the data density, you know, I mean, we're, we're talking going to tens of terabytes on a hard drive now. Um, uh, and the amount, the amount of raw data that might be in that that needs to be sanitised, the technologies had to try and keep up. So companies like um, Blanco, like Akin Workbench, or um, uh, Ultratest, Nemesis Solution, things like that, they're, they're all um, you know tr- sprinting to keep up with this pace of change. Um, but if you uh, see to it that the equipment goes through the right channels and you know, use a secure ITAD like Blackmore. Uh, or one of the others um, who, who you know, focus on the data security piece, um, but also intend to reuse the equipment. And I think that's that's probably a pretty solid way forward. Um, you have to exercise caution with the data, but that shouldn't mean you then resort to getting a hammer out. Right?
1: But it's interesting, isn't it? Because the it, this is a question of trust. And, you know, the problem is you look at a hard drive. To any of us, you look at a hard drive, it looks like a hard drive. You know, you can't see that data has been eliminated. Whereas, if it's smashed to pieces, you probably can. And, I, and I, it's interesting, isn't it, that a lot of this, you know, this new world is is coming down to trust. Who, who has decided that this amount of this this carbon footprint is associated with that object? Who has decided that this data is sufficiently wiped off? You know, there's a huge co- issue of trust here, Margaret.
3: I'm sure James will agree. I haven't seen James's facilities, but I've been to a number of reuse and refurbishment sites, and when you go there. You see that there's a lot of locked cages, there's a lot of security um, and control about who goes where and what goes where. And I initially thought it was about concerns that people would steal stuff, Um, which it is, but it's not about the hardware, it's about the software. So you see that there's this incredibly intense security bit until they're wiped and then and then it relaxes a bit because that's the concern. The concern is about stealing people's data, not stealing people's shell of a
2: laptop. Okay, I couldn't agree more.
1: How big a, a change would this be? So, Margaret, if you imagine, if we were to, you know, take our current state today, and we imagine a world some number of years in the future where there is a circular economy, mostly in IT hardware, you know, all these things are happening. How big a shift is that? Does it involve fundamentally redesigning most of this equipment and therefore kind of building new ones uh, that can then go round and round much more easily? Does it involve changing the way we, we do other things? Like How how big a shift is it to get to that place? And does it only work if we've already bought new devices like your Fairphone, which, which then can go round and round?
3: I, um, I mean, I may be wrong, but I actually think the behaviour change aspects are probably bigger or will take longer than the technology aspect. If you think how quickly technology changes, and I mean, just look at how quickly we've come from using a phone as a phone to our access to the internet, our ability to watch telly, our torches, our cameras, all of that has now happened in a relatively short amount of space. And I believe that If we decided and there was a universal agreement and demand that these things needed to last for a minimum amount of time, so take the software upgrades, etc., that would be relatively quick. But then we'd have to change the mindset that means I don't need to be seen with the latest version of something, um, that I understand that actually it's the service I need, not the physical box that it comes in. And those changes... Are quite dramatic, I think, because we've now moved to a world where it is important, and you might have a phone that does that or a work phone. You know, all of these things the behavior change that actually owning that thing is not a big deal. What I need is the ability to access what it gives me, and also then it can actually be better for me because then if it does go wrong, I'm not queuing up because you need to fix it because it's yours.
1: Well, I guess it is. I mean, it's it's interesting how even with phones that, you know, it's basically a flat thing with a touch screen. And that's all it is. And the other stuff. I mean, I spent years arguing with phone companies who have phoned me up and say, you need a new phone. I'm like, I'm, I don't. It works. And and there's an argument and they cannot believe. So I, you know, they can't believe anyone would say no to a new phone. It, it, it's it been really interesting, a bit depressing. Um. So, James, what Um. who... What would shift the? Are you seeing more interest in com, from companies? You know, if a company is perhaps listening to this podcast and they're running servers, they're doing this stuff, and they go, "Oh, this sounds interesting." How how easy is it for them to participate in this now?
2: Um, well, I would say uh, certainly for for companies wanting to participate from uh, uh, moving their redundant assets um, into into a sort of reuse route, it, it, its, it's pretty easy. I mean, had um, such as ourselves um, kind of manage the whole process through for them. Uh, they, they just need to know that we exist. Um, they need to know that it's a thing. And that and the trust thing is, is, is massive, of course, for businesses, particularly uh, large organizations, uh, and they need to know who they can trust. Um, and some of that comes from holding relevant certifications like um, the ADISA standard. Um, and you know the ISOs and what have you, um, and with with those bits, you can gain some element of trust. And of course, you know um, sometimes it just comes down to actually seeing it in action. Um, so they need to kind of come down and see the facility, and, and as Margaret pointed out, um, see just how secure the facility is and and what uh, measures are in place to protect their data and uh, what technologies are in use to ensure that the sanitization is thorough and then verified and all these bits and pieces um, I, you know I think people could have their eyes opened to, to that but it's uh, yeah, I don't know we, uh, ITAD is, 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 a, is a small thing considering uh, I think I've read some numbers the other day that implied that every adult in the UK have uh, like 10 electronic devices each um, and yet uh, you know used car dealerships in the UK number into 12,000 plus plus. Um, and there's only 0. 0.5 of a car per adult in the UK uh, and uh, you know the number of ITADs counting the tens.
1: Well that brings us to another important point does it which is and it's interesting the way you phrase that because I think and, and, I, know, and I know you know both exist but um you phrased it in terms of kind of convincing people to give you their electronics but of course that only works if someone on the other end is going to buy them or take them or actually want to use them um are you are you getting much interest like how how hard do you have to push this as a oh you know you really do want our thing and how much are people coming to you saying well this is perhaps cheaper perhaps better we just you know we like the ethics of it how about the other end of the pipe
2: yeah, yeah well I'm sure um, our team that look after the uh, the, the sale of um, reusable equipment would would argue that it's an extremely challenging thing to do um, but uh, I understand that that there is the interest there um, you know we, we've got some we're, we are seeing that increase um, but there's still a long way to go um, business to business. Um, is typically pretty good, but business direct to consumer can be can be a challenge. Uh, I think th- you know there's a stigma that comes with second user equipment that we're not past yet, um, so people don't tend to reach out for it.
3: I think there's also um, business to business being the easier one on that, but there's also something about just that general awareness. I mean, I remember talking to a head of procurement for a major organisation, and they were saying about they needed to be aware of the environmental impacts of of what they bought. And I said, and also consider whether you need to buy it. Because I've always found it slightly contradictory in most of the places I've worked. It's been standard to rent a unit that does printing and photocopying, not to own it. But yet that same behaviour doesn't apply to the other equipments that are used to Print or whatever so you know the actual computers themselves that doesn't work for and I think it'd be really interesting to understand why the mindset is so fundamentally different for two bits of equipment that in my head are quite linked.
1: And how about the cost implications of this because you know it, it, I can see this going either way so is, is using refurbished equipment is that cheaper than buying new?
2: Absolutely yeah um, you know significantly cheaper in both cases Um, You know, and we were also, the equipment's already in the UK. Uh, Why should we ship something else from, um, you know, from China or, or, you know, wherever it gets manufactured um, only to then send the scrap back in that direction so that it can be melted down and then constructed into more new items to then be shipped all the way back. So, I mean, the the environmental cost is is massive in uh, converting waste to new. Um, but also the actual, you know, pounds and pence cost um, to to the purchasing parties. It's significantly cheaper to get it uh, as reused, uh, and it often comes. You know, if you get if you work with a, a reliable vendor, and I like to think that we are. Uh, but there are there are others, <laughs> other opportunities to buy this equipment out there. Um, if you you know if you buy in from a, a reputable um, refurbishment company then you can expect you know full warranty and support with the equipment and all the rest of it Uh, it, it's not uh, you're not sacrificing those sorts of um, facets of a purchase um, and yet you can save a lot of money
3: but I think there's another behavior sorry that needs needs addressing because you're we're talking about what you do once you've got it and you wiped it but there's, I think there's a significant issue with hoarding or storage, however you want mm-hmm. to say it. And some of that's linked to concerns about data, but some of it is linked to, I think, a perceived value. I, I know people who keep old mobile phones, who keep old laptops, tellies, whatever, because somehow in our heads, no matter how much they actually cost you, whether you were gifted them or paid for them they're seen as value so that thing that didn't work on it which is why we then put it in the loft or in the drawer um, we somehow think that if our replacement um, breaks we'll go back to that thing rather than do what we did the last time which was go to the shops so we need to encourage people whether as an individual a householder or a business when that thing doesn't work be realistic are you going to use it if not Get it securely and safely um, refurbished, recycled, or whatever it might be. But don't just keep hold of it in the hope that some magic thing's going to mean you want to use it again.
1: Well, I would, I've got and There's an interesting thing here. So I do have all my old mobile phones, but it's not because of that. It's because I did not trust the recycling system when I switched those mobile phones over. So I'm basically hanging on to them until I am actually convinced that they really are going to be recycled in the most effective way. Have we reached that point? I would say yes.
2: Yeah, I would say yes. I mean, and actually, for, for end users, uh, I mean, you know, focusing on mobile phones there, um, there are even... Um, pieces of trusted software that can be used to sanitize them yourself prior to dispatching them to a you know recycling opportunity uh, I know uh, Blanco who we do some work with they they offer uh, individual consumer level licenses so that you can do it yourself if you if if, if you know if you've got significant concerns about um you know where it's going you don't just chuck it in the post with all your data on it you you can handle that bit yourself and then move it on to 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 someone who can make the best reuse of it, Um, or you know, when you're talking on a commercial scale, then you might want to employ an ITAD to do that work for you. But it's sort of horses for courses, really. There's options out there,
1: Margaret. When it comes to um, actually making change happen, you know, there's always these things where there's policy, there's consumer pressure, there's economics, there's these various levers. What is the one that's going to make the most difference? Because consumers will kind of say, well, I think this, but, you know, um, I'm just one person, what can I do? And governments don't only do things in response to public pressure, which takes a long time to build. Like, Where, where are the levers that could actually shift the dial on this and how quickly are they going to move?
3: Um, well, there's been some really interesting levers. I mean, the right to repair stuff that's been coming out of the EU, plus the standardisation around... Um, mobile phone chargers and i think increasing standardization still allowing people to have the thing that makes their brand unique but increasing standardization is a massive step in the right direction so that you can repair that you can have those spare parts um I think all of that will, will really, really help going forward. So that, and, and maybe increased, and maybe this is my OPRL hat on, um, increased labelling, so you understand the implications of what you're doing. So um, buying that cheap thing that will break but you can't, and you can't repair it actually has significant costs compared to buying that thing that you can repair that um, will last you longer and giving people tools or information to enable them to balance those things. So I think all of those things really make a difference. And there's been a big increase in things like repair cafes, not where I live, which isn't really big enough, but I see it in lots of towns and cities now where people can take things along and repair them and get those spare parts. And I think um, other things like 3D printing has really helped with spare parts because if you can't get it from the manufacturer, a 3D, someone with a 3D printer might be able to make you that part.
1: Well, that, that, they've been talked about that in space, haven't they? Which is, I mean, it's interesting because these these ideas are kind of shiny new and exciting when they happen in space because you have to, you live in a closed system in a, you know, small spacecraft. So obviously you have a 3D printer to print parts, not a whole not a whole storage unit. Um, we are nearly at the end of our time, but I wanted to ask both of you what your, you know, sort of key messages are. What is the thing that you think needs to be heard on this in the IT sector particularly? Um, that it either isn't being heard or that you've got a proper be in your bonnet about. Um, James first.
2: Okay. Yeah. Well, um, uh, as we've sort of covered a couple of times, really, but I'd just like to thrash the message home. I think we really need to destigmatize the the reuse of electronics and stop thinking of them as, as disposable or, you know, temporary items. Um, I think... I would like to see it become the case. I, I don't know whether I ever will, but I'd like to think we can try. Um, I would like to see it the case that professionally refurbished IT equipment become, you know, purchasing of that becomes about as normal as going to a dealership and buying a used car. Um, you know, most of us wouldn't think twice about a well maintained used car. Um, why should we feel any differently about perfectly serviceable electronic equipment?
1: Awesome. Right. Well, that's one thing on the T-shirt. Margaret, what's yours? So,
3: so mine would really be following the waste and resource hierarchy. So, you know, don't buy stuff if you don't need it. If you can repair or refurbish, that's great. And sometimes it might not be fit for your purpose, but it could be fit for someone else's purpose. I think a lot of people, when we first went into lockdown, the pandemic, discovered that, spare laptop they were holding and it wasn't quite right for them anymore was actually ideal for the neighbour's kids who needed it for schoolwork. So I think people re-evaluated that stuff then. Um, Reuse and donate... I'd also like to, and I realise local authorities have an incredible amount of pressure on them, for them to be clearer about what happens to electricals that might have data on that they get. So make it clear that we we send everything to a recognised organisation who we audit and wipes everything to Blanco standards, which is best in class. That kind of thing. Because I have people saying to me, oh, you know, how do I know? And I said, well, see what The local authority tells you and they often come back and go, oh, they don't tell me anything. So, you know, that doesn't give anyone any faith because I want a different standard of knowing what happens when I give a broken chair to a civic community site compared to a broken laptop to the same site.
1: Okay, lots to think about there. But that is all we've got time for for this episode. So huge thanks to our two guests, James Derrick and Margaret Bates. Um, Look out for those repair shops. Uh, And if you've got a company that does this kind of thing, well, now you know it's possible. So get on the case. Um, Do have a look for the rest of the podcast in these series. We cover a really wide range of topics on this theme. Um, And if you find them useful or informative, do please spread the word. We're all about that. I'm Helen Cheresky, and you've been listening to Net Zero, A Digital Journey.
0: Thanks to the sponsor of this episode, Restore Technology. You can read, watch and learn more about their work and about the full Net Zero, A Digital Journey series by going to netzerodigital.bcs.org forward slash UK or simply searching for hashtag netzerodigital on social media. And don't forget to visit contentwithpurpose.co.uk or find us on socials to check out more of our podcast collaborations.